I turn your attention this morning to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14. Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, and verse 6. We begin reading in verse 6, reading down through verse 11. John, chapter 14, and verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. We have been talking this month about rebuilding, as that was our theme for uh, the month of June, and that's the well that we are drawing from in, in this particular month. And so, uh, following in that theme, I want to speak this morning on this subject, rebuilding relationships. Rebuilding relationships, and in parentheses under that, one with the Father. One with the Father. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today and thankful for your presence and your anointing. Thankful for your word that leads us and guides us. We ask you, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Let us respond, God, and let our hearts and minds be in accordance with your will for each of our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated and thank you for standing. When you study the life of Jesus throughout the four Gospels, um, you find that Jesus refers a lot uh, to the Father. Uh, so much so that uh, his disciples wanted to meet his Father. Uh, they, they did not understand then, as many followers of Christ do not understand now, uh, that his father was not a separate person. In fact, Jesus referred to his father as a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Jesus was all God and all man. He was the father and the son. The father being the spirit, the son being the flesh. In fact, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. So there were not two separate beings, but rather uh, different manifestations or offices. And this is what God can do. He can be in many different places and fulfilling many different roles simultaneously. He's the sheep and he's the shepherd and he's the gate to the sheep. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He which was, he which is, he which is to come. He's not confined by time or space. He's Almighty God. Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
But then he goes on to talk about how the government shall be upon his shoulder and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So he can be the Son and the Father, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. (laughs) He's God. And he can be all of it simultaneously. And his name is Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad I know his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But we as humans, we have things, you know, in categories, boxes. That has to fit there and that has to fit over there. So the disciples were really wanting to know about this father. Well, Jesus tried to explain it to him. He he literally was the model for each of us. He prayed to the father as each of us should pray to our heavenly father. He was... He was God manifest in flesh trying to be that example for each and every one of us in our humanity. He referred to the Father as a source of strength just as each of us should look to the Spirit as our strength in a time of need. So this role play that that Jesus took on, it confused the disciples to the point that they requested that Jesus show them the Father. And his response was included... Uh, in the text that we read. And of special note is when you read his explanation, he says, Have I been so long time with you, yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And then he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Now, that's, that's interesting that Jesus said that he was in the Father, And the Father was in him. He was in the Spirit, and the Spirit was in him. For things maybe to make more sense, when you see Jesus referring to the Father, always think of that as the Spirit and the Son as the flesh. It'll it'll, it'll make more sense to you. But Jesus became this role model as he attempted to show us that we have to rely on our Heavenly Father or the Spirit to be able to live a successful Christian life of overcoming sin. It takes the Spirit of God working in us. Now some people, they may look at this and they may observe this response and say that Jesus was just referring to He and His Father being one in purpose and that you could not see one without seeing the other metaphorically. But that explanation is incongruent with other verses uh, that speak to the oneness of God, like Colossians 2.9 that states, In Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, all of those different aspects of God, all of those different roles, all of those different positions, as it were, of God, the fullness of all of it was in Jesus bodily. Oh, hallelujah. And if that wasn't enough, Hebrews also states that the testator, the one who creates the testament, the testator had to die for the testament to have legal authority to pass on to the heirs. So you understand the way a testament, the last will and testament, testament's like a contract. The Bible's made up of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the testament has to be created by the testator. So if I make a last will and testament, That all is triggered 
upon me dying. Those that are on my heirs, they are then vested with whatever's in that will or testament based on the testator dying. You can't send a substitute testator. If Jesus was not God in the flesh, then Calvary has no legal or moral authority. It required Jesus. It required Jehovah, not Jehovah Junior. Well, I'm going to tell you, once you get this revelation, the whole Bible will make sense. I said the whole Bible will make sense once you get a revelation that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He didn't say, I love you so much, I'm going to send Junior down there to die for you. That was never the plan of God. It was God manifest in the flesh that said, I can become the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Good God Almighty. Woo! Hallelujah! And the Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God have become the sons of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. You and I are the heirs. Hallelujah. We receive the benefit of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We are the heirs. And because we are the heirs, it was vested in us. Hallelujah. When Jesus went to the cross. That's why when those priests were in that high temple, and they were ministering, and that veil was ripped in twain from top to bottom, and it swung open from right to left, because when the testator died, there was was access that was given to you and I that we could go boldly under the throne room of grace and find help in a time of need. It was at that moment that we as heirs vested. Woo! So you were born in sin, but you don't have to die in sin. You were shaped in iniquity, but you don't have to die in iniquity. There is a God that has given you as an heir possession, authority. Hmm. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So the only way that this event called Calvary works to morally and legally redeem us is to understand that Jesus was God in flesh. The Father in creation, the Son in redemption, the Holy Ghost in regeneration. This is why the Holy Ghost can make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Because it's all in one. Creative, redemptive, renewal. It's all in one. So when we get that revelation, when we get that understanding, we begin to realize that God, hallelujah, loved us so much that He came Himself to this earth. And when you pray to Jesus, you're not leaving anybody out. You're not offending anybody. Because it's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead and it's all in Him. So it's on the backdrop of that alignment. It is with that understanding as the context that I want to contrast our wholeness as humans when we are one with the Father. We understand that we are humans and that we are not gods. I think everybody here understands that. We're well aware of our own flesh, our fallen nature. We know we can't fly or disappear or pass through walls. We are aware of our limitations. Now, you may have met some people that you thought that they thought they were gods, but for the most part, everybody in here would agree 
that we're not a deity. We are a human being. I don't think there's a lot of conflict in that understanding. So how is it that we as humans can become God-like? Someone said Jesus came to this earth and God became man so that man could become God. How do we do that? The Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans that humans, describing you and me as humans, those of us that wear flesh, he said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they have become the sons of God. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we actually become a deity? If we have a part of this nature of God in us by the infilling of the Spirit of God, does this mean that we become God-like? No, no, a thousand times, no. But what it does mean is that we have the opportunity to live after the Spirit rather than after the flesh. And therein lies the joy of life. It's what moves us from life to abundant life. You see, when you were born in this natural world, God gave you a human spirit. But when you are born again in the spirit world, you get a Holy Spirit. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're not just saying, Heavenly Father. We're saying, Abba, Father. We're saying, Daddy, we love you, Lord. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. You're our Dad. You're our Creator. You're our Redeemer. You're everything that I need. I want to be one with you. Hmm. So we have the ability to make decisions. We all have a free will. We're all wearing skin. We have, within the confines of our humanity, we have the ability to make decisions that are based on the influence of the Spirit rather than just the impulse of the flesh. Now let that sink in for just a moment. We have the ability, not saying it's easy, but we have the ability to make decisions based upon the influence of the Spirit rather than just the impulse of the flesh. In the seventh chapter of Romans, Paul is lamenting the nature of the flesh because all of us deal with flesh. And he talked about his own flesh and his own wrong decisions. And he talked about his frustration. He's very transparent in Romans chapter 7. This flesh just has a tendency to want to sin over and over and over again. To go back to the shame of the past. To live in the squirrel of remorse and to all of the shame and all that goes with all of that. He, he talks about it. He says, for the good that I would, I do not. For the evil which I would not, that I do. I find then a law that's in my memory. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. He's very transparent of talking about the struggle that he's having in his humanity. And it's the same struggle for all of us. Ain't nobody down here wearing wings. We're all dealing with flesh. Nobody out here, I'm looking, nobody's got a halo. I see some horns, but I don't see any halo. <laughs> so at the end of chapter 7, Paul asks this rhetorical question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And if I can continue this contrast 
between humanity and, and the battle that Jesus had even with his own flesh. This is Paul in his own garden of Gethsemane. Everybody's got their own garden of Gethsemane. This is Paul fighting the futility of the flesh. This is him being very honest and talking about the hopelessness of a life without God. He's struggling. He's dealing with it just like Jesus had to deal with it. And finally, Paul has to find his way to those words that Jesus uttered. And eventually every one of us has to find our way to those same words. Not my will. Let me back up one more word. Nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. Regardless of what is in this flesh, not my will, but thy will be done. Regardless of what I'm feeling, not my will, but thy will be done. Regardless of my past, regardless of my mistakes, regardless of the situation I find myself in right now, not my will, but thy will be done. So Paul is in this struggle, finding his way to a place of living an overcoming life. He hits his stride as chapter 8 starts out in the book of Romans. And he begins that chapter by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Woo! I can see his little anointed pen starting to go double time. Whatever he was writing with, carving. I don't know what they had back then. But he somehow put the words down. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law, everybody say the law, of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Everybody say free. From the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He became an overcomer of sin. He conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could conquer death, hell, and the grave. He became the first fruits of the resurrection so that one day the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. We, you and I, human beings who were created in the likeness of God. We have the opportunity to be back in fellowship with him. Even though sin separated us. Everything that flowed down from the sin of Adam and Eve flew into our veins and came down through the ages. It separated us from God because God is a holy God and has a righteous nature. And we have this flesh now that has been integrated with sin. And so there was a separation. It was like trying to mix oil and water. They're just naturally going to separate. They're just going to go opposite directions. And so humanity went in the opposite direction. 
and it's still going in the opposite direction. And as you go down through the years, that separation widens. So how do you and I bridge that gap? How do we rebuild that relationship? The good news is that we have a path. We have a bridge to get back in relationship with God. And we do it through the Spirit. This is what Paul was trying to give us. To be one with the Father, you must have the Spirit of the Father. The Spirit of the Father is the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said, well, I don't know if I have to have the Holy Ghost. Maybe that's just a bonus that God gives to really spiritual people. The Bible said, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're not of His. Paul referring to this as the law of the Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit of life. There is a law. There is an objective standard. A standard of moral and legal authority. This is unequivocal in a declaration of truth that life and the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. It's a law. I get tickled sometimes when people try to explain Pentecostalism. They say, well, that's just emotional, you know. That's just a crutch for those poor folks that are mentally challenged and emotionally they need a crutch something to stand on so they go down there at church and they get all worked up and they run around and speak in tongues and they make it sound like that we all just run around like a bunch of chickens with our head cut off i was in law school they used to ask me do y'all handle snakes down there i'm like where do you people get this do y'all cut off the heads of chickens i'm like what do y'all does everybody get educated through hollywood or what if it's not Hollywood, it's Wikipedia or something on the internet, which is even less believable. I was teaching a Bible study years ago, and I was talking about the Red Sea, and I had my Bible open, uh, teaching a family around a table, and I was showing them uh, what the Bible said about the Red Sea and Moses, and they said, that's not how it happened. And I said, well, what do you mean? The Bible says, they said, ah, we saw the movie, The Ten Commandments, and it was much different than that. <laughs> the Ten Commandments movie is the authority. That's the kind of crazy world that we live in. But this is a law. This is something you can sink your teeth in. The law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. It's a law. It don't matter what your nationality is. It don't matter what your level of education is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It don't matter who your mama was, what your past was. It's a law of the spirit of life. It is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come through fame. It doesn't come through fortune. It doesn't come through position or power. The fullness of life is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's all in him. So, sin destroyed that relationship, separated us from the Creator, but now we can rebuild that relationship and become one with Him through the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you're like this, but the older I get, I'm becoming more and more like my father, my natural father. I find myself doing things that my 
father would do. For instance, when I was growing up, we did not eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because he forbid that my mom bring peanut butter in the house. It wasn't because we had a religious conviction against peanut butter. It's because he liked it so much, he wouldn't allow it in the house because he would eat it all. So we never grew up with peanut butter. Now, I don't have that particular problem with peanut butter. But I do have similar problems with chocolate chip cookies. And I told my wife, we have to get rid of every chocolate chip cookie out of this house. Because there's something about warm, hot chocolate chip cookies and a tall glass of cold milk. Can I get a whip? Dipping them in there. It's too good to keep in the house. Because I don't care what diet you're on, when that stuff comes out of the oven, you're like... Get a tick. Key lime pie, it's too good. Keep it out of the house. Indigenous right here in the good old state of Florida, key lime pie. You take a bite of it, you can hear angels singing. Woo! Blow the trumpet, Gabriel. Uh. So I said, we just got to keep it out of the house. I'm becoming like my dad because I don't even want anything around the house that's going to be a temptation. Keep it out. I don't want it up here. My dad, he, I'm becoming just like my dad. He will not send his suits to the cleaners because the cleaners have ruined way too many suits. And so I'm like him. I do not send my suits to the cleaners and I haven't for five years. That's why if you get real close to me, I smell really bad in these suits. <laughs> no, he has a steamer at his house. He steams his own suits. And this morning, Bishop, you haven't even found this out yet. My wife said, you want to open your Father's Day gift? I said, yeah. She had a beautiful card there and they had a box. I opened the box up. Guess what it was? A suit steamer. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Right for the house. He don't trust dry cleaners. I don't trust dry cleaners. When he goes in a restaurant and orders broccoli, he says, I want it triple steamed. Because if, you if you're going to have to eat broccoli, you need it soft, soggy. If it's hard and cold, spew it out of your mouth. I can't tell you the number of times the broccoli comes, we're like, no, we got to have it triple steam. You got to take it back, put something else to it. You got it. The microwave won't do it. You got to put it down in hot water, steam it, make it soggy, because then it comes back. Do you know why do we eat broccoli? That stuff is so nasty. Do you know why we eat it? You eat it because it don't matter how much of it you eat. Weight Watchers don't give you no points for it. You can eat a bucket of it. And Weight Watchers will not punish you. There's no points to broccoli. They don't care if you put your head in a bucket and eat broccoli till it's coming out your ears. Eat all you want. The problem is all I want is just a little tiny bit. And it's got to be triple steamed. I guess I get that from my dad because my dad's the same. We go out to eat. He wants to buy everybody's food. I'm that way. I go out to eat. I want to buy everybody's food. I'm becoming more like my dad the older I get. And sometimes my wife will tell me, you're becoming just like your father. 
I say thank you. I take that as a compliment. He'll drive all around town to find gas three cents cheaper. Use two gallons of gas to drive all around town to find it three cents cheaper. I'm like, Dad, just pull in right here. You'll save two gallons. Now I find myself doing it. I'm like, 249. I don't think so. has a way of duplicating itself we become our parents the older we get but here's the good news so does the spirit the spirit of God allows us to become more like our heavenly father just as the flesh wants to duplicate itself the spirit can duplicate itself so if you've got the Holy Spirit you've got the essence of God in you and the things that he likes you ought to like and the things that he hates you ought to hate Boy, Paul, he's really on a roll now. He just continues right in the 8th chapter. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That's an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is an enemy to the things of God. Here's the problem. Every one of us have got one of these things sitting on our shoulders. We don't all use it, but it's sitting up there. And it is at war with the things of God. So to be carnally minded is death. But the longer you serve God, the more you ought to become like your father. The more you ought to become like your spiritual father. You need to hate the things that your heavenly father hates. Now your flesh is already kicking up right as I preach this part right here. But I'm going to preach it anyhow. The Bible makes it clear in the book of Proverbs of the things that he hates. Now one of the things that the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the Lord hates is that he hates hands that shed innocent blood. I don't know if y'all are like this or not, but do y'all find yourself just turning the news off? Don't even want to hear the news no more. Does anybody else do that? This one shot, that one, that one shot, that one, that one raped, that one. I don't even want to hear it. Why give the devil any more publicity? We know people are lost and out there struggling. Can I tell you one more thing while I'm on the subject? Let me just be pastoral for a moment. If you like to watch movies where everybody's killing everybody, you have not the spirit of your father. I said, ooh, watch this movie. And some innocent girl's walking down a street and some bad guy's waiting in the bush going to jump out and chop her head off. If you like that stuff, you need some help. That's not the nature of your father. You ought to put all that violence aside. You ought to put all that junk out of your head. And you ought to say, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. If there be any good things, if there be anything pure, think on these things. All that slasher movie. You ought not to be putting that junk in your head. Why? Because we want to become one with the Father. We're trying to rebuild this relationship. Because if I can get things right with my Heavenly Father, every other relationship flows from that relationship. You can rebuild relationships 
with people you've been estranged from, if you can get your relationship right with your heavenly Father, everything else will flow from that. If the Bible says He hates the hands that shed innocent blood, you ought to hate those hands. If the Bible says He hates a lying tongue, a proud look, and the Bible does say that, you ought to hate it. I'm going to go one step further. The Bible says, here's another thing He hates. He hates brethren that sow discord. That's the book. Some of y'all said, I've been in church for 25 years. Then you ought to be more like your heavenly father. You got no excuse. I mean, somebody that just got saved, they got an excuse. You've been around long enough. You ought to know better. Somebody comes up to you and say, well, I can't believe Pastor did that. I can't believe Bishop in the church. I don't know what they're doing. They're trying to pick up another offering. That guy's up there saying he ought not to be seen. I seen him down at the bar. You ought to say, I'm not going to let my ears become trash cans. All you're trying to do is sow discord among the brethren. I got news for you. God hates it and I hate it. I'm out of here. You ought to make up in your mind. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to use my mouth. I'm going to use my ears for a positive message. I'm going to say great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. As far as I know, everything's great. Everything's good. Woo, hallelujah. Because the Bible said he hates those that sow discord among the brain. He hates it. So if I'm becoming more like my spiritual father, I've got to start hating the stuff he hates. And i got to start loving the stuff that he loves. Paul continues, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh. See, this is where he's trying to show the distinction. Though you're living in flesh, you don't have to live under the dictates of the flesh. But you're not in the flesh, verse 9 says, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. If you and I can rebuild this relationship with our Heavenly Father, if we can become one with the Father. Somebody said, how do you know what's the right thing to do? Just become one with the Father. If I can become one with Him, If I can be directed by the Spirit of God and not just the impulses of my own flesh, guess what? It's not going to be hard for me to know what I should wear, who I should hang out with, what establishments I should go to, what establishments I should not go to. Every relationship is going to come into the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I get my relationship right with God, when I rebuild that relationship, say, God, I'm not going to wait not one more day, not one more service, not one more moment. I'm going to become one with you right now. I'm asking you, God, I want your spirit to lead me and guide me. I'm tired of living according to the constraints of my flesh. And then Paul says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. It literally limits its impact upon you. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, every time in Scripture we see that Jesus healed the masses healed the lepers healed the blinded eyes healed the crippled legs the withered hands 
He forgave their sins. And the Bible says, He made them whole. John 14 verse 10 says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? When He was given this explanation to His disciples that we read in our text, He makes this statement. He said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? And the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. The Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. The physical healings, those physical miracles, even to the point of bringing Lazarus back from the dead, and others. The widow in the city of Nain whose son was raised up in the middle of a funeral procession because Jesus came to town. All of the physical miracles, the healings of these bodies, all of that was a result of their sins being forgiven. And they were made whole because God can do it all. He can heal you physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He can do it all. He can heal you. He can forgive you. And most of all, He can make you whole. And when He makes you whole, hallelujah, there's nothing that can compare to saying, I'm now whole. I'm back to what God created me to be. I'm back in the image of God. And His Spirit is living in me. And His Spirit helps me every day to live above sin. And one day, that Spirit is going to catch up us out of this earth. And we're going to go to be with him forever and ever. Oh, my friend, he wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to rebuild that relationship. To be one with the Father. To be whole. Say, oh, pastor, is it possible? I've been through so much. He literally designed this redemptive message for messed up people. This was not designed for perfect people. This was designed for hurts and hang-ups and heartache. But this redemptive gospel, hallelujah, can make you whole. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder, is there anybody in this building that will stand to your feet right now? Would you lift your hands toward heaven? And would you thank God for this access that we have to Him? Would you just lift your hands and your voice right now and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to know you. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a path. You've given us, Lord, a way that we can rebuild this relationship with our Heavenly Father. That we can become one with you. I'm going to ask you right now if you would bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. How many of you that are in here, nobody's looking around. This is just it's something I want to ask you and I want you to respond so that heaven can see your response. But if you're in this place today and the Word of God has found good ground in your heart and you say, I want to, I want to be one with the Father tired of just following the impulses of my flesh I want the spirit of God to lead me and guide me 
You said, I, I need that. I, I need more of the influence of the Spirit of God in me. And I, I'm asking Him that He would give that to me today. It, it comes through repentance. It comes through Jesus' name, baptism. Then ultimately the, the infilling of the Spirit of God, which is available to whosoever will here today. But if you would say, Pastor, I, I, I want to be one with the Father. Maybe you've had the Holy Ghost for a number of years, but you said, I want that Spirit to lead me and guide me. I wonder, would you just raise your hand all over this building? Thank you, thank you. Hands are going up all over the place. All of us, all of us need that. You can put your hand back down. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I've asked God to forgive me, but I want to take on His name. We take on His name, the identity of His name through baptism. His name is literally applied to you. And you may not realize it, but in the spirit world, when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you've got the name of Jesus literally over your life. And when the enemy comes in and wants to try to hurt you or your family or your home or your kids or try to attack your finances, he can't touch you because you've got the name of Jesus applied. Just like the children of Israel had the blood on the doorpost in Egypt. And maybe you've not been baptized in water today. We're going to baptize several people today in Jesus' name. And you're welcome to be a part of that. Or maybe you've never been baptized with the Spirit of God. The Bible says when you receive His Spirit, it just overflows up out of your system. You begin to speak words you don't understand. You said, I believe God's have that for me today. I'm going to tell you something. All you've got to do is give God just one opportunity. Just a small opening into your own spirit, into your life. And He will make you whole. From the top of your head to the sole of your feet. If any of those things that I've just mentioned, if any of those things apply to you, I wonder if you would just step out from where you're standing right now and just make your way down to the front of this building. Beautiful, beautiful. Here I come, Lord. Here I come. I'm going to start by rebuilding this relationship today on this Father's Day. I'm going to start my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Beautiful. Just keep coming. There's still room. There's still room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for responding. You're saying, Lord, I want to be one with the Father today. I want to be... I want my will to align with His will. I want to subrogate not my own human emotions as the throne, as being on the throne of my own heart, but I want to put that underneath and I want to say, God, you sit upon the throne. Your spirit lead me and guide me. Thank you for coming down. Here's what we're going to do. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands and lift up your voice. First of all, I want to say, God, forgive me of every sin. Cleanse my heart. If I've been walking after the flesh, but you're drawing me today to walk after the spirit, I'm asking you, God, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, 
to allow me to put everything under the blood so that I can leave this place today victorious in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, as you begin to thank the Lord for that, I'm here to tell you the Spirit of God's going to come over you. You'll begin to speak out words you don't understand. Don't be afraid of that. That's just the overflow of that Holy Spirit filling you up. And whenever you ask God to forgive you, it empties out your vessel of all the stuff of the flesh, all the sin, all the mistakes, all the shame, the condemnation. And it allows these vessels to be accessible now. And the Spirit of God comes in and fills that void. And it comes up out into your mouth and into the atmosphere as you begin to exalt the Lord in a heavenly language. Evidence of the Spirit of God filling you. Oh, I feel it right now, don't you? All of you that are here in the altar, those of you that may be in the pew, would you lift your hands right now? Would you lift your voice? Here we are, God. Here we are, Lord. We stand before you right now. You understand this flesh that we're dealing with. You understand the frailty of this flesh. But I'm asking you, God, right now in the name of Jesus, forgive me of every sin. Cleanse my heart, oh God. Wash me as white as snow. I want to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. I want to be one with our Heavenly Father. I'm asking you, God, right now, take up residence in my heart. I want your influence to be stronger, Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I want, God, but what do you want, Lord? That's it. Now, if you believe God's heard your prayer, would you lift up your hands and would you lift up your voice and would you begin to thank Him? If you've not ever been filled with the gift of the Spirit of God, begin to praise Him right now. You'll feel that Spirit come into you right now. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, in the name of Jesus. That's it. That's the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord is- 
as you lift your hands and you begin to lift your voice right now and begin to thank the Lord. Don't worry what it sounds like. Just begin to worship Him. And the Lord will put a heavenly language in your mouth right now. That's it. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice right now. Begin to speak it out in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. In the name of Jesus. 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 That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 